Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the joy, the pleasure of your goodness. There's just no way for us to be aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the the indwelling of Christ. There's, There's no way for us to be um, overwhelmed by the experience of all of these things without recognizing that then there is also a natural pull for us to share that with others. And I'm not just talking about evangelism, although that's part of it, like sharing our faith. But I'm talking about like when the Christian life and our awareness of the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit now in us so much moves us and controls us that there there becomes this blending together this very this natural interweaving of of our lives and ministry and mission so that we 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 find ourselves in so many instances just very naturally sharing the goodness of Jesus Christ it literally becomes like the the, the overflow of our lives it's at least the way i read the book of acts um, I, I love this chapter for lots of reasons. We are in Acts chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going down through verse 12. Some call this the start of the first missionary journey of Paul. It's true. Um, although it's not the first time he did anything or spoke about Jesus. He's already done that in Damascus. He's already done that um, in, in Jerusalem. He's already done that in Arabia. He's already done that in Syria. So to just describe it like, and now the Apostle Paul's going to finally get going is actually just not true. But there's something that is very like different and, and very unique, and it's that the Holy Spirit speaks. It comes really, really clear of what it is exactly the Holy Spirit wants, and there's going to be no confusion or question about it. And it's that kind of clarity that most Christians desperately desire. Like, God, what is it that you want me to do? Outside of the, 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 the kind of, yeah, I know I need to love people, and I know I need to be kind, and I know I need to be gracious, and I know I need to share my faith, but God, what is it that you really want me to do with my life? Do, do you realize what you just skipped over there? Yeah, but if the Holy Spirit were to just speak to me, if the Holy Spirit would just be more clear in terms of, I, I, know what, I think I know what I'm going to say, just where do I say it? Where do I go? And then we have this incredible book. And, and most people, and I'm, I'm one of those most people, it, it just, it seems like almost on every page. Um, and, and then whoever, Melchizedek is walking and the Holy Spirit came down to Melchizedek or God appeared to Melchizedek and said, and now I want you to take 10 steps that way and then 14 steps that way and then 15 steps that way and then I want you to wait for three minutes and then I want you to take another day's journey here and, and that's how God did it with everybody, right? Right? Well, he did do that. I mean, he told Abram, hey, I want you to get up and I'll go to the land in which I'm going to show you. The way I read it, it's almost like he was talking to Abraham every day. Good morning, Holy Spirit. First Samuel chapter, you don't, don't turn there, but this is a really cool verse. You can just write it down and go back and take a look at it. First Samuel chapter three, verse, verse one. Samuel isn't like a priest. He's actually been called to work in the temple area, in the, in the tabernacle area. Okay, that's what he's called to do. 
and he's, he's sleeping in this tabernacle area. And the high priest, Eli, is there. The high priest is old. The, the text goes into detail. He's, his eyes don't work very much. He spends a lot of time sleeping and resting. And while, while Eli is sleeping and resting and Samuel is sleeping, the Lord speaks to Samuel, just a boy. And Samuel thinks it's Eli. And Eli, is that you? Eli says, no, it's not me. Go back to bed. And This happens a number of times. And in, in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. And there were no frequent visions it's good for me to remember that. Because even when I'm in Acts 13, it's like, oh yeah, like literally the, the Holy Spirit was always telling Peter and James and John exactly where to go and ex exactly when to go there. And, and there are instances where the Spirit picks up Philip and moves him and picks him up and moves him somewhere else. Uh, the Spirit is definitely involved. But I just think it's important that we realize that as far as we can tell, like Eli's entire life was never like directly ordered by God, except if you include, you know, like the Mosaic law. For him, it seemed like the Mosaic law was enough, it seems. As Eli and Samuel are trying to figure out like who's talking and what's going on, Eli at never moment goes, are you kidding me? I have been doing this priest job forever. And God has never spoken to me. And now this kid comes in here and God decides to talk to him. Okay, tell you what, next time he calls, you let me know. I want to go there because I've got some questions. He doesn't seem to complain. I, I would even argue that even as much as you and I might want these supernatural, these, this, this guidance and the direction that, that has no ambiguity, I, I think it's a lot more complicated than that. But realize, like, Eli seems to think that in the law, there is enough for him. That's what I think. There doesn't seem to be any, like, jealousy or anger or confusion. He has enough. That's a good reminder for us. Because we're dealing with the text and... I don't think it's allowed for us to just say, yeah, well, that was back then. You know, that, that, was, that, was, that was just another time in another place. Sure, that's true. But do you understand, like, this word has been given to us by Luke for our instruction, and it is, it is, it is teaching us a lot of different things. And one of the primary things is that the one that is in charge of the church in terms of its operation is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to the disciples, and you will wait here until the Holy Spirit comes on you with power, and then you will be my witnesses. So we shouldn't be surprised that in those major moves, when the gospel goes to Samaritans, when the gospel goes to Gentiles, that God provides some supernatural, special instruction just to remove any kind of confusion. And then the rest of the time is just the church being the church. Did I say just? Wow. And the rest of the time is the church being the church. And they know what to do. Jesus says to Thomas, okay, now that you've seen and you've touched, you believe, 
But blessed are those who never see, who never get to touch like you did, Thomas, and yet they still believe. I mean, I don't know, you, I, I need those verses sometimes. Because if, if God was more clear, maybe I'd be more faithful. If, if God was more verbal, maybe I would have a greater degree of, of certainty and commitment and direction. As if somehow the words of Jesus are not enough. As if somehow the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which comes inside each of us when we trust in Jesus Christ, is not enough. And so I love the fact that the Bible speaks very clearly about what's going to happen. And, and then in, in between times, and notice as we move from 13 all the way up through 28, most of it focusing on the, the ministry and the mission of the Apostle Paul, this is more of an exception than a rule. But the Holy Spirit does not abandon his people. The Holy Spirit does not leave us just to try to guess what is going on. That when the Holy Spirit, like this is really important for us to realize, that when the Holy Spirit wants us to go to a specific location at a specific time, he makes it clear. The Holy Spirit speaks, I believe the Spirit speaks today. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. I think the context of what the church is doing is important as well. While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, that word for worshiping there really kind of describes this word that is also connected to the idea of ministering. Like while the work is going, while the church is going on about their work, it describes that worshiping is, is a word that can be described in a number of different ways. It can be described as like just ministering through the word of God by preaching and teaching or ministering to the needs of the people around them. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big word that encompasses so much that the church just does as it waits for the Spirit to speak, or in between the times the Spirit speaks, we know what to do, and that is not just sing songs to God, but to live our lives in a response to what Jesus Christ has already done. That's what that word worshiping is. Preaching, teaching, loving, caring, caring for the needs of particularly the body, but then everybody else. It is while the church is being the church and fasting that the Holy Spirit said, we don't know how they said, most people believe that it was probably through um, uh, the miraculous uh, prophetic words of somebody even within that fellowship. We don't know who it is. It doesn't matter because the Spirit is the one that Luke wants you to believe is the, is, is the author of this. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Notice that although Jesus meets Saul of Tarsus, his name is now Paul, Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus, he tells him, you're going to, um, you're going to be my witness, you're going to speak to Gentiles and to kings, you are going to suffer much for my name. And much like Abraham, when God said, I want you to go to the land where I'm going to show you, and then there was this constant um, interaction between God and Abraham as God was leading Abraham and leading Abraham, correcting Abraham, steering Abraham, um, forgiving Abraham, Saul is finding that his life is going to be very similar to that. That so much of his life has already been dictated by the teachings of who Jesus Christ is. And by the daily strengthening of the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit has specific instruction, he makes it clear. I love to remind very conscientious, 
devoted and dedicated Christian people who are so afraid that they're going to miss the movement of the Spirit in their lives. They're afraid that somehow it's going to be like, oh, did I miss a call? Ah, I missed the call. Right there, HS, that's got to be Holy Spirit, right? I knew I should have been paying attention. Like, think about it. I mean, many of you are going, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, you're the one that is afraid that you're going to miss. And, and one of my concerns is that as Christian people, and I, I, this is me, is that I'm, I'm, I'm more geared to try to read into things than to follow the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm more almost comfortable in some sense to try to guess than to move in boldness and confidence at the leading of the Spirit. I love to ask this question, and it, it began to set me free to truly live and to respond under a, a constant direction of the Holy Spirit. I ask this question to people. Can you think of a time when the Holy Spirit moved and somebody got it wrong? When the Holy Spirit spoke and the church or the prophet got it wrong. Can you think of an instance in the Bible? You can't use Jonah. Because he got it right and then disobeyed. <laughs> when was the Holy Spirit, when, when, when he wanted something done, vague? When was God, when he had a specific purpose, unclear? Hey, Moses. Um, I don't know where I'm going to send you. I don't know who I'm sending you to. I don't even know the reason. Just start walking. And Moses ended up in Egypt. Hey, Noah, I don't know what I want you to build. I don't know what's coming. Find some tea leaves. Have fun. No, there's a flood coming. Build a boat. Ah, flood, water, boat. I get it. Right? So then do you believe that God will be purposefully or unpurposely vague when he's leading you? You believe the Holy Spirit, as it leads, as it truly wants, is somehow going to be unclear or vague? That it would leave you somehow just with hints and gestures? The Holy Spirit set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. Who? Barnabas and Saul. For what? The work that I'm going to show you. And then notice how in verse 4. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. I love just the, the fact that Luke wants to make it very, very clear. Because this is what happens. You and I can so easily confuse all the work that we do as our work. All of the things that we do as our, our workings. But no. But being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Why? Because the Spirit has spoken, the Spirit has enabled, the Spirit has empowered, and now we go. The Spirit speaks. Never really spoken to me like this. Like, I, I wanted it. I've never had a moment where, Jim, yes? I want you to move to Stillwater, Oklahoma. Yeah, you would have had to have told me that one because I never would have guessed that. And I want you to be uh, one, of the, one of the pastors at Sunnybrook Christian Church. Okay, that's helpful because there's lots of churches in Stillwater. I never had that. And yet, I, without any hesitation, I, like, I, I feel like called to be here. Does that make sense? I've never asked my son Mac what he meant by 
I remember being with him when he looked at me in a coffee shop in Poland. He goes, Dad, God told me I'm supposed to be here. I never went audibly. I don't know if it mattered, to be honest with you. I don't know if it mattered. If anything, I want to be Eli. Yeah, he's never spoken to me like that, Samuel. But if he's spoken to you, like when you hear him call, you just you say, here I am. What do you want? How can I serve you, God? Boy, please, please don't wait for the Holy Spirit to speak like this. He might. I, I mean, as we, as we close this, this message, you'll even see, I even recommend that we pray these things. But the Holy Spirit is the one who responds to this. Like, I want, I want you to understand, like, the, here's an understatement. The vast majority of followers of Jesus never get a call like this. Does that make sense? The vast majority. And by the way, that's more than okay. <laughs> I believe it is God's plan. I believe it is God's purpose. And it doesn't mean that Paul and Barnabas are any more special in any way. No, but there is a special task that God wants them to do. And I would even say Paul's life, the vast majority, this is an understatement, the vast majority of mornings, the Holy Spirit guided and strengthened and did not speak to the Apostle Paul. And in so many reasons, or for so many reasons, all of them tied into the fact that he had already spoken through Jesus Christ, his son. But when the Holy Spirit speaks, the church responds. The church naturally responds. I love how, like, who is the one calling? The Holy Spirit. Who is the one sending? That would be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sent them off. But then look at verse 3, right in between 2 and 4. Look at verse 3. And then after fasting, twice mentioned now in this very short text, and then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands. Kind of interesting. It's the same phrase they used when the Jews laid their hands on Stephen. Now, that was like a physical beating. Same phrase. Laid their hands on, but, but this is actually something that's a lot different. See, hands are an amazing thing. We, we, can, we can do incredible violence, and yet with those same hands, we can provide such incredible healing or purpose. That's why there, there's something special and powerful when we set someone apart for ministry and we lay our hands on them, send them off. There's, there's something about that physical connection. There, there's something about that tie that reminds us that as we go, are we, we, are, we are ordaining, we are, we are setting apart, we are um, specifically charging, but, but we are going along with you. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So who is it that sent Paul and Barnabas it is the Holy Spirit. It is the church. And I love how Luke seems to consider the two of them just so um, beautifully brought together. So when we as a church help someone hear the call, help audibly or not, help send them off, who is sending them? Who sent Sam and Rachel to Japan? The Holy Spirit, and we did. Who years ago sent Jake and Aaron to Ethiopia? The Holy Spirit did. 
than we did. Who's the one more, more recently that sent the Ganyos back to Africa after being with us for a while? Well, that's easy. It would be the Holy Spirit and we did. See, that's what it means to understand and appreciate like how the Spirit moves in us, how the Spirit works in us today, and how it continues to make a difference for God's glory, others' benefit, and for our joy. This isn't just about like team spirit. This isn't about just all being like on the same team. It is so much more than that. It is so deeply tied to the mission and the purposes of God, which are primarily under his direction by the power, the equipping, the sending, the sustaining, the strengthening of the Holy Spirit in his people. That's the mission of the church. Where every day is powerful and special, most of them are very monotonous and mundane. Spent a few moments yesterday talking to Mac and Liv and asking them, hey, how are things in Poland? Are you ready for this? They have to find out how to buy a car in Polish. And then how to get money wired over from, from here to there. And they have to figure out how to find an apartment. Thought we sent you over there to do like real work. Leander and I said to them, I hope that you are able to find joy and purpose in everything that you do. Like every day, every day, think about how much time, so you have this real powerful moment, right? Holy Spirit, send us, send Paul and Barnabas out. And then Paul and Barnabas like had to go down and find a ship <laughs> and then wait for the ship to have to sail. And then they had to get onto the ship. And then they had to sail. <laughs> Think about how much of it was spent. Like we just, we, we literally, like you, you read it, right? And you have them almost like magically being deposited along the Asian coast. No. Just sit on the boat for, I don't know, a month. Now that's exciting ministry. But, 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 it's, but it's ministry. It's the life of the church. It helps us realize that there is something powerful and that there's something moving in all of it. Going, sending, praying for, sustaining, strengthening, leaving, um, taking on a new area. Boldly trusting that God will continue to support, remembering we've promised support. Like all of this is church. And so often all we want are those, those exciting moments. I'll, I'll take Acts chapter 13, the exciting part. Even the difficult parts. But most of it is just an ongoing, relentless, guiding, strengthening, and supporting of the Holy Spirit. It's important to remember that aspect of the Christian life. Because if not, all you do is you just spend time waiting, trying to live from miracle to miracle. Euphoric experience to euphoric experience. And I would argue that it's not natural, it's not normal, it's, and it's not healthy. 
Well, when Paul and Barnabas get there, they begin to speak very boldly about the plan of God and the purposes of God. And I find it very interesting that although the church sent, and, and, the, and the, notice who the church sent, as far as we know, like two of the greatest leaders, two of the most important people, right, at the church at Antioch is Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas went there, he brings in Saul, they're actually teaching for a long time, and then the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, you're the ones that need to go. I need you guys to go. Paul Weiss, Drew Henderson, yeah, I need you guys. Seriously, you don't, you don't think we could take somebody else, like somebody that's not as important to the ministry and the purpose of Sunnybrook? I want Paul and I want, see Paul, that's a good name. I want Paul and I want Drew. Yeah, but we need Paul and Drew. Yeah, I know, but I'm using them elsewhere. It's, it is very interesting that when God selects and sends who he sends, and they go and they speak, they, they preach, they, they give witness to who Jesus Christ is. In most of our categories of thought, when the gospel is being presented, like there are those who accept it, and then there are those who say, no, thank you. And, and by the way, that, that happens repeatedly in the book of Acts. But also in the book of Acts, and, and in my life, and probably in yours, there's a bar Jesus. And you might go, wow, the same name as Jesus. Okay, but that's, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like Amber or Brittany, right? It's a really popular name back then. Joshua. Yahweh saves. Son of Joshua, bar Jesus. He has a rather religious name, even a Jewish religious name. He's a magician. Not the, kind, the word that's used here is not the kind of magician like you see in the book of Exodus where there are magicians that are almost like a priestly order doing miracles. No, this is almost more of a, of a, of a charlatan kind. Roman leaders would actually have like a priestly order that would do magic, divination, that would help them know when to attack, where to attack, different decisions that needed to be made politically. They would have like a religious soothsayer, crystal ballish kind of a person that would guide and direct them. And this guy doesn't have the credentials, but he's got something that really has an influence over Sergius Paulus. And when Paul spreads the good news, this is interesting, Bar-Jesus realizes, Lyamus realizes, boy, if, if Sergius Paulus, that's the Roman official, if he buys this, I'm probably out of a job. That reminds me that when the gospel comes and it is accepted by some, like their, their life circumstances, even their advisors, um, those that have influence, that, they, that just changes, doesn't it? And Bar-Jesus sees this. He realizes, wow, if, if, if Sergius Paulus listens to Paul and goes down this road, he'll have no use for me. He'll have no need for me. Like my card tricks will be no good anymore. Like all the things that I can impress him with will be no good anymore. And so what does he try to do? He tries to lead Sergius Paulus away. There aren't just those who accept and those who say no thank you. There are those who realize, like in, in those people that we love, there are those in their lives who are determined to deceive and to lead astray those that we're trying to witness to. And what do we need in instances like that? 
The text doesn't use these words, but I, I just think it, it just goes without saying. It's a, it's a very natural thing. The thing that I pray for when I'm sharing the gospel and then I recognize, wow, this person's going to have to make some difficult decisions. These difficult decisions are going to have huge implications on their lives. I pray for wisdom and courage. God, give me wisdom so that I will know how to speak to this person so that they might begin to see those that are leading them astray. Whether that be family members or mentors, life coaches, counselors, pastors. God, give me, give me, give me wisdom because um, I, I want to rightly discern like what is at stake. And I need to rightly discern where deception is. God, I need to rightly discern like what are you even trying to teach me? Am I preaching the truth about Jesus? The second thing that I pray for is courage. If you look at the text, man, there are some bold words that Paul shares, aren't there? Look at verse thir- look at chapter 13. Verse 10, this is what he says to him. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. I have not used the word villainy in a long time. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And then he curses him with blindness. Interesting, Paul knows what it's like to be blind. And Paul even knows that through his blindness he was able to see. Hmm. Paul might be doing something not just to punish him, but maybe even to help him. You crooked villain, you son of the devil. Like that's strong language. And in our culture, Strong language is, is usually, um, it, it, it scares us so much to use it. We so don't want to offend anyone. We so don't want to bother. And we're so reduced even to not saying things like that because in the end, like he's allowed to have his perspective on truth and I've got my perspective on truth. Notice how Paul doesn't go, you know, there's lots of ways that we could look at this, Sergius Paulus. Like, Bar Jesus, he's got a great way of looking at it. Not my way of looking at it, but I kind of like what he's doing. That's how we would talk. Isn't it? No, you're the son of the devil. And you're trying to deceive and you're crooked. He speaks blindness upon him. As we move to be a people that is constantly, not just sending people to Japan, but constantly like being sent ourselves across the street, conversations across the table, across the room, God, give us the wisdom and the courage. Speak bold truth when necessary. So that those that we are sharing the gospel with can see what's at stake. Language this strong must mean that there's a lot at stake, wouldn't you say? Like I wouldn't speak like this if we were just arguing about like a a football game. But if we're arguing over heaven and hell for Sergius Paulus' life, language like this is probably necessary and even appropriate. God, give me wisdom and courage to speak. So how do, we, how, do we, how do we apply this to our own lives? Well, sure, like as we're, as we're speaking and as we're engaging, God give us wisdom and discernment. 
Like, God, as we have the Sergius Paulus in our lives and as we are speaking to this, give us a clarity and an ability to speak the truth about Jesus. But one thing I love about this text is that it reminds me more than anything that they say, it is the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit that originated all of this. And I believe we need to continue to pray for that. Jesus makes a comment in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, when he tells the disciples some very important things that I think are just so important for us to remember. As we remember that the Holy Spirit calls and sends out, that the church then partners with the Holy Spirit and calls and sends out, and when they do, that the truth is being spoken. Sergius Paulus, by the way, believes. He is amazed at the teaching. More than the miracle, he is amazed at the teaching of Paul and he believes in Jesus Christ. Jesus says this to the disciples. Matthew records, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Therefore, get out there, guys, and get to work. We do not have time to waste. And and find five friends and take them with you. No. Harvest is plentiful, workers are few. In Stillwater, Oklahoma, harvest is plentiful, workers are few. In Mexico... Harvest is plentiful, workers are few. In Japan, harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Ghana, it's a repeated phrase. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. That's what we do. Like we never forget that it's the Holy Spirit that calls, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers, it's the Holy Spirit that enables. The church then partners and sends. So what do we do? Well, we begin at step one, which is we pray to the Lord of the harvest. Not that he would speak audibly, although that's not a bad thing to pray, but that he would call and send however he chooses. And by the way, don't be surprised if your name across the street or around the world Your name. Don't be surprised if your name is the one that the Holy Spirit calls. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder and the power of who you are and what you've done. And God, I pray that you would help us see this in a way that, uh, Father, we would know how to love and care for the mission of the church. Teach us, God. Speak to us through the word that has already been spoken and through the Spirit as it speaks. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen.